Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com if you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast google Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Okay, the shofar has sounded the call to meeting, the call to attention. Welcome. Welcome to each and every one of you. Appreciate you listening. I hope it blesses you. Um, my apologies, Firefall Network on YouTube uh, hasn't had any new content lately. There's been a delay in that. I was thinking about not saying anything, but I want to address it. Um, I'm not here to build a brand. I'm not here to build a following. I'm not here to do all the things that other preachers and teachers do on the Internet. I'm just here to share the word. Um, change your lives, fill you with the Spirit, get you prepared for what is coming. I could buy, you know, followers, so it looks like I have a tremendous following. I just don't care. So the content will get done, will get up. You'll you'll hear about it here. If you're subscribed, you'll know. But I just want to apologize because some of you have been looking for some. This is the community part of the porch. If you don't want to be a part of that, wait for the next show far. Go right into the Bible study. But we've got a bunch of prayers uh, requests tonight, so hopefully you'll stick around. We always start out by praising the Lord. Um, you can't go into his presence without praise. You shouldn't start the day without praising him. First thing every morning, praising him. Before you go to bed, praising him. During the day, praising him. Don't always run to him with prayers and needs. Go to him in love and adoration. So, Lord, I love you. I praise you for my salvation, for saving me, for giving me, giving me back the family that I discarded. My wife, my sons, and I now have daughter-in-laws and a grandson. I have a legacy. I am living the life I always wanted to live. I just didn't know when I was younger it would take salvation with the Lord to do it. Praise him for everything we have, home, family, pets, possessions, everything you've given us. I praise you for the word that I can study and and read and understand and pray and talk to you for your provision, for the protection you offer over each and every one of us, for the dreams and the visions, the healing virtues and all the things that you offer us. Abiding divine favor. Oh, my goodness, we need that so much right now. I thank you and praise you for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. 
that the that he walks with us, that he encourages us, that we are new creations, getting to watch prophecy be fulfilled. It's not always fun to be living it, but we're getting to see it. So many people longed for these days, and we're living them. But that means we must pray. We must know how to pray. We always start out by praying for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6. May they prosper who love you. And so, Lord, we pray for Israel, pray for Jerusalem. We pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters, those that are in the vine, those that are grafted into the vine. We thank you. We ask you to cover them. Cover America. Forgive us. Forgive us for our depravity. Forgive us for our destructive nature, the things that we do which are against your word. I pray that we would find our way back into your favor again, that your grace would be shed upon us. I pray for all the people around the world, not just in America, that are being victimized by their leaders, people that have been put into power by corrupt influences. Lord, you told us, you warned us, here we are. Please help us. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, the innocents, and those who are victims of injustice. There will be no justice, Lord, until you return. Pray against the slaughter of the innocent, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. For missing and exploited children, the victims of human sex trafficking, Hasatan has been doing it since the beginning of time. And we long for the day that he and all that serve him are punished for what they're doing. Praying for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered, persecuted for their faith, um, the anti-Semitism, everything that's going on that would indicate to anyone who's paying attention that the spirit of the Antichrist is lurking in the background. So, Lord, we need you. Divine protection, inspiration, healing in our bodies, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Praying for the remnant to wake up that alarm clock to go off in their spirit. And if they've been called to rise up and answer the call, that those that have answered the call, which are many of you, if not all of you, that you would do what needs to be done. Continue to pray for the open doors and the finances for all the things that he has called us to do, kingdom finances, for kingdom business, and for our lost family members, that they would be saved, healed, and delivered before time runs out. Um, My wife, Deb, here in Orlando, sent in a prayer request just as I was settling into the studio. Uh, Sister-in-law, Darla, needs a biopsy. They have found a lump that they're concerned about, so please pray for her. Uh, Jane in Los Angeles, I'm asking for prayer for her, for peace, for guidance, and continued healing as the Lord directs her um, to the treatments and things he wants her to do. Allie in Idaho has been going through a tough time. She lost her mother and some other family members and friends. It's been a time of loss for her, as well as Stacy in Texas, her 30-year-old 38-year-old cousin, um, Heather, passed away this week. 
So I'm praying. I'm asking you to pray for all the families involved. It's been a tough week. We live in a fallen world. And though some of us experience more than others, this is um, this is our home. And right now it's not a whole lot of fun. And it won't be until the Lord comes back. So let's pray for one another. Let's remember each other in prayer. So, Father, we boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, crying out to you, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. We so desperately need you. We so desperately need to feel you, to know you, to be bathed in your presence. Thank you for Yeshua. Oh, thank you for him, for sending him to pay a price we'd never been able to pay, every drop of blood to wash away our sins. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable, saving us, healing us, delivering us. We ask you to Wrap your arms around us. Some of the people I've mentioned, the many that are listening, are going through some tough times. They need your spirit. They need the peace. They need you to bathe them in your shalom. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever it is you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. Take control. We ask you to protect the technology, protect our time together. Let it do what you want it to do. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. You know, it's pretty amazing. I can sit here all day and talk and pray, and Larry and I talked and prayed a little while ago, and everything is great. I get in here and begin to talk to you about the Lord, begin to share, and the Spirit gets stirred up, and this emotion hits me. Of course, it's love. It's how much I love Him. I almost, sometimes I can't even get it out in words. But knowing the pain that's going on out there right now, knowing what people are going through, knowing what's happening in the world, watching all the things, and seeing it, and realizing how desperately we need Him. You know, and as I continued tonight with Concord and talking about uh, the power and the influence of sin and how it affects us, well, we're seeing it. We live in a fallen world. Sin is everywhere. It's in our lives. The, the, the cancer, the sickness, everything we're experiencing is, is a part of the fall. The, the destruction of humanity is part of the fall. Animal suffering is a part of the fall. Everything ties back to this concept that we just don't seem to want to talk about. And as I've prayed and I've worked on um, these Bible studies, I've come to realize that it's 
been neglected even by me. I'm seeing things that I had not seen before. Oh, we want blessings. We want prosperity. We want the power. We want warfare. But we can't win anything. We can't do anything. If the power of sin has any influence over us, and it must be important, Paul mentions it 54 times in the book of Romans. But the one thing the Lord told me to start out with as I was finishing my notes today, he wanted me to read you Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. There is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. For the law of the Spirit is life, which is in Messiah Yeshua. The law of our new being has set you free from the law of sin and death. And he wanted me to remind you that because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So we're no longer under that judgment, but sin still has an influence in our lives. He's given us escape from the bondage. We know that. Paul says in First um, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Messiah Yeshua, the day of his return. You're, you're a work in progress. Don't ever, ever get discouraged. I know I do. And he has to remind me. I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I'm going to be yet. We're a work in progress. And until we get our redeemed bodies, that progress continues. We're always in it. We're incomplete. Our spirit has been redeemed. Our body and our soul, not so much. And that's where the battle is. And that's why this concept of sin is so vital. The enemy has no direct power over a believer except to convince you or trick you into doing something wrong, whether that's in thought, whether that's in action, whatever it is. He can't just come in and make you do something. If somebody's in the process of total demonic possession, that means they gave up control a long time ago. But the enemy cannot just do whatever they want. No matter what the movies tell you, no matter what some of the false teachers tell you, the enemy just can't do whatever he wants. Now, let's look at the other side of it. Does he have power and influence? Absolutely. Can he, can he or the kingdom of darkness collectively create scenarios or cause things to disrupt and even damage your lives? Absolutely. But if we're walking in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we're walking in obedience, the enemy doesn't have that kind of access to us. Therefore, we must 
take care that not any one of us have a wicked or unbelieving heart which refuses to trust and rely on the Lord, a heart that turns away from the living God, but continually encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today and there is an opportunity, so that none of you will be hardened into settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin, its cleverness, delusive glamour, and sophistication. You know, when I do post things on Instagram or Facebook, it's to encourage. It's to point in a direction. I'll send out an email. I'll reach out to someone as the Lord leads. And this week really hasn't been very much. I've been pulling back from social media and may continue to do so, except to deal with the porch and Firefall Talk Radio. But the point is, is that we have to know that somebody else cares. We have to know that someone else is praying. Oh, yes, we should be strong and we should have faith. We should have all those things, but we just need to know we're not alone. So I'm telling you, you're not alone. If your name is on the list of people that send in praise reports and prayer requests, I'm praying for you by name. Other people are praying for you by name. If I don't know your name, but I know you're listening by the numbers on the various streaming platforms, I'm praying for you, but the Lord knows who you are, for peace, for blessing, for protection. But if that verb, uh, that description about an unbelieving heart, it's talking about our, our personality, our mind, our will, our emotions. You know, that part of us where there's no pretense. The the part of us that's real. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs, the issues of life. You know, that phrase, get to the heart of a matter. People can put on a facade. They can look good sound good, smell good. They can do all the right things, but if you squeeze them, what comes out of their heart is what's real. That's everything. Not only does it circulate the blood that keeps your body alive, keeps the electrical um, impulses flowing for the cells, for the nerves, for all those things, but it's also the core of our spiritual being. The Bible even recognizes it's the seed of intellect, emotions, will, and moral consciousness. And if you've heard me teach or preach or you've seen any of the seminars, you know that I talk about the heart as a computer, much more powerful than the brain. It's who we are. It's why I'm always appealing to it, which is why I'm always speaking to it and from it. Yeshua taught that sin came out of the heart of people. Definitely, he's declaring in Mark 7, verses 21 through 23, it's the heart of the matter. He says, from within, that is out of the heart of men and women, people, come base and malevolent thoughts and schemes, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, adulteries, acts of greed, 
and covetousness, wickedness, deceit, unrestrained conduct, envy and jealousy, slander and profanity, arrogance and self-righteousness, and foolishness, poor judgment. All these evil things, all these evil schemes and desires come from within and defile and dishonor the man. So many times in our life, we meet people that we think are good and they're right, they're righteous. We see them, we want to follow them, we want to believe them. But then something comes along and shows us that they weren't who we thought they were. They were something else. Satan's good that way. He's a deceiver. He's good at deception. People can be religious and follow all the rules, but still have a heart polluted by sin. Every now and then they make the news because somebody well-known within the religious community gets caught doing what they do. And they have to step down, of course. Some people will repent honestly and step away, but others will have an excuse because they want to get the paycheck back. They can't live without the adulation. We can honor him with our lips, but deny him by our life and our actions. See, in Mark 7, he was confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Lord was widening the breach between true spirituality and religion. And all we've done in the church has recreate the Pharisee and the Sadducee system with pastors and teachers and elevating men and women because they're up on a stage, up in a pulpit, or under the lights, or they sing good, or they do something well. That's not for me, not anymore. If you can't hang on a cross, if you can't shed every drop of blood, if you can't die and rise from the dead three days later, you're not all that, and I don't have time for you. But after we are converted, after we are born again, our behavior should change. The characteristics of a believer is such that the law of sin and death which guided us has been overwritten. Look at Hebrews 8, starting with verse 6. But now Yeshua, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. We used to live under the Aaronic priesthood, but now we're under the Melchizedek priesthood of Yeshua. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. And what I'm about to read to you is the covenant that we've been grafted into. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts. 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. Well, you may say, well, wait a second, Richard. We we still have to tell people about the Lord, but we shouldn't. Romans 1, if you really want to read that, go go back and read Romans 1. Creation confirms who he is. The fact that I'm born again was demon-possessed, did the things I did to my friends and family was proof that he was real. You should be proof that he's real. You shouldn't have to tell them about Yeshua. You shouldn't have to tell them. They should be able to look at you and go, I remember you. I remember what you were like. If that's not happening, we have a problem. We need to be the witnesses. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And then after those days, says the Lord, I will imprint my law on their minds, even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding, and I will engrave them upon their hearts affecting their regeneration. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And he was quoting Jeremiah 31, but the fact is this. When you become born again, something should change in you. I know that he's my God, he's my Father. I know that he's my Lord, and he's my Savior. I'm his son, He has redeemed me, has changed me, gave me back all the things I threw away. I didn't deserve that. And he's there with me every day to correct me, to instruct me, even even to the point that when you're listening, if you will submit to his rule in your life, the Spirit will guide everything you do. There are some days I'll get ready to work out, and I'll put on the elbow braces and wrap the gloves and get ready to go, and then all, all of a sudden I'll just hear a gentle no, which means, no, don't work out today. Of course, I always joke, you could have told me that before I put on the gloves and the elbow, elbow wraps, but what a, but the fact is, Later on that day, I'll feel a twinge in my back, and I'll realize, um, had I worked out, I'd have made that worse. He orders your steps. He wants to direct your life. He wrote a covenant in his blood, and the cross was his pen. So we should, according to what I'm reading here, when we confess with the mouth and believe in our hearts, there should be a change. There should be some fruit from our repentance. John the Baptist was railing against the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 3 about that because they were showing up to the river, Jordan, 
coming for baptism, and he screamed at them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the divine wrath and judgment to come? So produce fruit that is consistent with repentance, demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. And they were putting on the show to be accepted by the people to come be baptized by John the Baptist. But what he was saying is, show, give me some fruit that proves you're repentant. True repentance, J.R. Miller says, amounts to nothing whatever if it produces only a few tears, a spasm of regret, a little fright. We must leave the sins we repent of and walk in the new, clean ways of holiness. That's what repentance means. It's a 180 that I'm going to go in a different direction. The problem with many people is they get into that 180 and they keep going and they're in a 360 and they're still going the wrong way. This has been a problem in the church from day one. In every letter from uh, the apostles, the book of Acts, all the way through to Revelation, keeps pointing to the fact that the church, his church, his body, is having a problem with this concept. Revelation chapter 3, starting verse 3. Red letters, Lord speaking. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. For he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church in Sardis had a few people that had not gone back to their sinful ways, but for the most part they were being given a warning. Remember to take heart the lessons you have received and heard. Keep and obey them and repent. Change your sinful way of thinking and demonstrate your repentance with new behavior that proves a conscious decision to turn away from sin. So then if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come to you. I believe the people that will be caught off guard, and I believe there will be, I believe the people that will be caught off guard won't just be asleep like the foolish virgins. They'll be completely engulfed in their own ways, their own thinking. And they'll come and go and they won't even know it. Because their heart wasn't on him. Their mind wasn't on him. We're in a constant battle in case you haven't noticed. A battle between our soul and his spirit. We live in a fallen world, and the God of this world, 
runs it, and it's inhabited by the children of disobedience, which are an allegiance. They've given their allegiance to him. So for us as believers, our actions, the fruit of what we do, proves who we are, proves that we're set apart, proves that we're not a part of the world. Remember, set apart means holiness. But so many people who claim Yeshua as Lord look no different than the world itself. You'd never know it. And you're wondering why, or maybe you're not, because you come here every week and I tell you about it, but the reason the church is so ineffective and the reason so many in the church are suffering is because the enemy has too easy access to the church. We've made his job too easy. Matthew 10 Verses 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And we know that's at the judgment seat, that's at the end. So anyone who confesses and acknowledges Yeshua before the world as Lord and Savior, affirming the state of relationship and oneness with him, he will confess and acknowledge before the Father who is in heaven. But anyone who denies and rejects him before men, that one he will also deny and reject before the Father. That word confess in conjunction with the word before, connotes a legal statement or a testimony in a legal setting, a public testimony with evidentiary proof by their behavior proves their confession. So what happens if sin takes hold of a person's life? It takes hold of their inner man or woman? What if they just kind of, you know, get caught up, make a mistake, one thing leads to another? Whose power are they under? Well, the easy answer is who rules the darkness? Hasatan, the fallen, the kingdom of darkness. We've been enabled by the blood, by the cross, by salvation to live a righteous life, upstanding before God, spiritually. But what happens if the body becomes an instrument of sin? See, most sin starts out very small. It's a simple decision, a simple choice. But through repetitive behavior and repeated disobedience, It takes root, and the longer it takes root, the worse it becomes. And the worse it becomes, the less power a person has over it. And at that point, that's usually when somebody cries out for deliverance. Deliverance is not a panacea from your problems, from your disobedience. Deliverance is a last resort. 
if you don't change your behavior, if you don't figure out why you do the things that you do that you can't stop doing, you'll just go back to it after you've been set free. Because our human nature is in rebellion against God. That's what Paul says. He says he's carnal. He's a creature of the flesh. We're all creatures of the flesh, are we not? How many times you make a mistake? I know I do. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm off kilter spiritually, whatever. Something happens, boom. Anger, reaction, rejection, emotion. Whatever it is is coming from the inside out. We live an inside-out walk. It's not always the enemy that's doing what's happening to us. We do it to ourselves. And it could be as simple as a disobedience in a choice, not trusting the Lord, making a decision that wasn't his best for us instead of waiting for him, for the perfect will of God, which we call Isaac. We accept the permissive will of God, which is Ishmael. And what is the problem? It's our flesh, because in it, Paul said, there's nothing good. The will desires to do good, but yet can't do it. Paul talks about himself. He talks about other believers. Even he says he doesn't understand himself. He talks about feeling defeated, not doing what he wants to do, doing what he hates to do. And that conflict, which is the core of where this, these two weeks began, that conflict, that battle is between the two identities of the believer, our old nature and our new nature, and between the law of sin and death and the law of life, redemption by the Holy Spirit. They're always battling. Whichever one we feed, whichever one is stronger, wins the battle. And when sin takes root, something else takes control. And it goes from natural to supernatural. I said this before and I'll say it again. Of the hundreds upon hundreds, multiple hundreds of deliverances I've done in over 30 years, I would say 90% of them were people that sat in a church somewhere, believed they were born again, and yet had a part of their life that they'd lost control of, for whatever reason. Maybe it never had been redeemed, never been dealt with. Maybe it was hidden and came up. But for whatever reason, the majority of the people I've had to help get set free in the name of the Lord were a part of the church. I mean, let's face it, it's very rare that somebody outside the church, somebody completely demon-possessed, unredeemed, asked for help. I've had it happen. I've been able to do it. But the majority of the people that understand there's a problem and they know where the solution is, is the church. So that, Romans 7, starting verse 15, For I do not understand my actions, Paul says. I'm baffled and bewildered by them. I know that feeling. I do not practice what I want to do, 
but I'm doing the very thing I hate and yielding to my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity. Now, if I habitually do what I don't want to do, that means I agree with the law, confessing that it is good, morally excellent. So now, if that's the case, then it's no longer I who do it, the disobedient thing which I despise, but the sin nature which lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh, my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity, for the willingness to do good is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. For if I'm doing the very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it. It's not me that acts, but the sin nature which lives in me. And we know from the Bible our sin nature is what's called iniquity. It's inbred sin because we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And when you're born into this world, your body and your soul And the spirit in you is the spirit of the world. But when you become born again, your body and your soul and his spirit is in that body. And that's where the problem, the duality comes, because all the world wants to do is feed the worldly spirit. But what you see, what you hear, the desires of your life, the twisting of the word, the denial of the responsibilities of our walk with him— This is a constant, ongoing war, 24-7. There is no retreat. There is no neutral territory. And the enemy will create the situations that will allow them access to you. Let's say you have a problem with drinking. And throughout your life, alcohol or a drug has been your stress reliever. The enemy will create scenarios to increase the stress, to increase your reliance on the external crutch until that external crutch becomes an internal bondage. People that are caught up in sexual addiction aren't looking for satisfaction. They're looking to fill an emptiness, to fill a hole, to create a connection. We are inherently in our human nature self-destructive. Adam Adam and Eve didn't have to do what they did. Adam definitely didn't. He wasn't the one talking to the serpent. Eve was. He could have simply said no. He didn't. And because he made that choice, that's been our programming until we become born again. And what the enemy will do when you become born again, when you become really filled with the Spirit and filled with that newness of salvation, he'll back off, he'll leave you alone because he'll know at that moment you're too strong, you're too committed. He'll wait. He'll let some failures, some disappointments. He'll wait till you get a little out of shape spiritually, and then he'll come in very sneaky like a snake that he is. A little nudge here, a little suggestion there. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, whatever your button is. He doesn't need new buttons. 
He just needs to push the ones that he knows works. And we make it so easy for him. I don't understand why we do that. For those who are living according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, which gratify the body. But those who are living according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit, which is His will and purpose. Now, the mind of the flesh is death, both now and forever, because it pursues sin. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace, the spiritual well-being that comes from walking with God, both now and forever. If the enemy can get into your head, if he can get into your mind, if he can make you question your faith in God, he's not going to make you question God because for you that's an absolute, but he'll begin to weaken your faith and your trust. Well, maybe you didn't hear him clearly enough, or maybe that word you were given wasn't from God. Well, it doesn't matter. Two or three people confirmed it. God's not going to answer that prayer, but there's an answer out in the world. Hey, why don't you just go look for it for yourself? Doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? No, it doesn't. Well, don't just sit there. Do something. You should be doing something. You should be acting out in faith right now and trusting God. No, be still and know that he is God. Galatians 6, 8, For the one who sows to his flesh, his sinful capacity, his worldliness, disgraceful impulses, will reap from the flesh ruin and destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And the weapon is sin. And what is sin? It's anything contrary to God's will and God's word. Let me say that again. It's anything that is contrary to his will or his word. You can't look at his word and say to me, "Oh, I don't I don't agree with that. I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's really bad." Well, then right there you're in disobedience, that's sin. If you do anything, if I do anything that transgresses his will, something he forbids, or failing to do something he requires, is sin. And it doesn't have to be it, sin can be depraved, it can be um all these things, it could be something as simple as disobeying his word. Case in point, I thought today somebody was looking for my help with um, demonic activity in their lives. I didn't know them, and so I went and looked at their Facebook page. They were into astrology. They were into all these things, these very simple, seemingly um, non-threatening forbidden activities in the Bible. And I've gone to people like that and said, you know, this is against the word. Oh, I don't agree with that. That was just men making rules. No, it's really against God's word because I know I did it. And I know what the source of all those things are. And the reason he forbids it, not because he hates you and trying to deprive you of anything, he's trying to protect you from the fallen who are actually behind those things. 
Oh, premarital sex is okay, Richard. Two people have to get together. They got to test the goods. They got to know if it. No, you're creating a soul tie that will never, never be disconnected. And it's going to create problems for you. When two become one, that was his intention, that the two bodies, which are designed according to his glory, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When those two bodies come together as one, those two uh, spiritual and physical fields of energy merge. But when you pull them apart, they leave pieces of themselves behind. They even leave DNA behind, and that will cause torment. That will cause mental issues. I've, I've met people that were incredibly promiscuous, whether for satisfaction or business, that are tormented mentally because of the physical bondage that those things have created. And I've helped pray for them and turn those things off, but they will always be there because of the way he designed us. So the purpose of all this is not to create fear or confusion. It's to get you to understand the only power that the enemy has over you is sin. If you know what is right to do but you don't do it, it's sin, James 4.17. And according to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, it can be external, it can be internal, it can be thoughts or desires. But interestingly enough, sin is even portrayed as an entity not dependent upon human actions, a state of being, an alienation to God, an impersonal force acting within human or societies against God. But we know who that impersonal force is. It's right there in Genesis 4. Abel, brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he didn't respect Cain's offering, which was from the field. It was from the fruit harvest. So Cain got angry about it, and his countenance fell. He made sure God knew he was angry. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Well, the King James personalizes the sin as a he or a him. We know Satan is the personification of sin. So if you do well believing in me and accepting what is acceptable and pleasing to me, says the Lord, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do well, if you ignore my instruction, sin crouches at your door. And its desire is to overpower you, but you must master it. It crouches like a lion seeking to devour you, to destroy your life, but you must master it. Sin in the Hebrew is is presented as a demon. We know it's Hasatan. That's who the he is. That's his kingdom. It's a demon crouching outside the door of a house, looking to attack, lying in wait. First Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the adversary, it says your adversary, the devil, which is your adversary, the adversary, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So be 
self-controlled in all your choices and your thinking. Be watchful. Be alert at all times. We can do this. I know it sounds, the way Paul presents it and the way I'm, I'm sharing seems so overwhelming. Richard, it's impossible. I can't do this. I can't stop myself from doing what I'm doing. Wait a second. Yes, you can. Unless you're, unless you're in such bondage, oppression or possession, that somebody has to agree with you to get rid of it, we can do that. But if the Spirit of Him, if the Spirit of Him who raised Yeshua from the dead lives in you, He who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to our flesh or our human nature or our worldliness or our sinful capacity to live according to the impulses of the flesh, our nature without the Holy Spirit. No, we have an obligation to him, for if we walk in the flesh, we're not caring about our spiritual warfare according to the flesh, because our warfare is not with weapons of this world. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, even though they, they are there, but we're not contending against physical opponents, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. But if we're going to defeat them, If we're going to fight for our brothers and sisters, our sons and our daughters, our husbands and our wives, then we have to be free from the control of the enemy. We have to make sure the enemy has nothing in us. The Lord said, the the God of this world is coming for me, but he has nothing in me. Meaning anything that happened to him was by his choice. Satan did nothing. Oh, I long to be able to live in that 24-7. And I know that day is coming. But for now, it's a battle. We're all battling with something. We're all battling with the bad programming of our childhood and our adulthood and the choices that we've made that will always be ready to come back and haunt us at any moment. But as long as you know it's under the blood, as long as you know that it's been forgiven, as long as it no longer has control over you, You are victorious because nothing can separate you from his love. Not height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Not not things present, not things to come. Not the angels above or those in the pit below can separate you from his love. So walk in that. Choose that. Choose life. Choose his love. Start every day saying, Holy Spirit, what should I do today? Help me to make the right choices. Oh, Richard, that sounds so childlike. I'm an adult. Well, you, you know what? You do it your way. Let me know how it turns out for you. Start each day with him. Go to him. Say, Lord, I love you, first of all and foremost. Father, I love you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you to walk with me today. I need you to show me. If I'm going right, you want me to go left and tell me. And if I don't hear you clearly enough, give me a nudge. Send me a word. Send somebody to help me. Lord, we need you. Oh, my gosh, in this fallen, ugly, dark world that deserves nothing but judgment, we need you. So much yet to do before you come. We need you. 
all of these things that the enemy has put in the world to trip us up, all the traps to take us off the narrow path into one of those ditches on the side. Please guide us. Please walk with us. Change us and heal us. Right now, in the name of Yeshua, if something's got a hold of you and you just can't take it back, first of all, I pray that he would reveal to you why. But I right now, as if I'm laying, if I'm there with you, I lay my hands on you, and I call for whatever that hook is, whatever that talon, whatever that chain is, to melt by the power in the name of Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and loose its grip on you, so that you can reject it and say no more from your heart, your mind, your soul, and your spirit, and be free. And that we seal that door shut so that it can't come back. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, we just, we need so much right now. Peace. Healing. Some need deliverance that only you can do. But most of all, we need to be filled. Filled with your spirit, filled with your love to be able to walk in this fallen world, and without saying a word, people can look at us and go, that person is different. I wonder if they know Jesus. You know what? I I want what they have. And you'd be ready to tell them about what he's done for you. So you can either live a life of being conquered We're having conquered those things which would try to trip you up and take you down. I'm living the conquered life. I'm living it. Even when I trip and stumble and I get up and he tends to my wounds and helps dust me off, I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk with him. Shoulders squared, head up, eyes on him, a heart of love to set the captives free. In Yeshua's name I pray all these things. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Gunn. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.